and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Thank you, bro. I don't know if it's wisdom for Gio to leave me and Marcus alone together. If you guys been here on a Wednesday night, you've seen us in, in the prayer room. Call us the sons of thunder. We don't mess around. Hey, well, we are missing Pastor Gio this morning. He is actually uh, with his spiritual father this morning, Pastor Lynn Overflow Church. They're celebrating um, uh, how many years of ministry? 35 years in ministry. So he's with him there, supporting him. So we just send our love to Pastor Gio and Pastor Lynn. But hey, today is Father's Day. Amen. Come on. Where are my men at? We. Where are my men at? Hey. I want to just, I, I have a word this morning, but I wanted to do something. The Lord told me to do something before we actually get into the word. Um, I want to pray a blessing over the fathers of the house. Because I don't know if you know this, but there is an intentional attack upon the fathers of our nation. I said there's an intentional attack. There is an attack that makes all these, when you watch any sitcom, all the dads in that sitcom are dumb, clumsy doofuses that don't really know how to manage their household. Amen. And then, you know, the mom, which we love moms, but they're always having to come save the day because the dad just don't know how to hold himself together. There's a, there's a coordinated attack by the enemy on fathers. And there's a reason for that because God established fathers as the head of the house. And if the head is out of place, the entire house is out of place. Amen. There's a spiritual attack on fatherlessness in many areas of our country. Amen. Oh, come on. Amen. And I just feel like today... What would it be like for a church to stake a, to take a stand against fatherlessness, against against father incompetence? So, would, could I just have the fathers of the house? If you are a dad or a spiritual father, a grandfather, could you stand? I want to pray a prayer over you this morning. Would you be able to stand really quickly, briefly? Stand up, please. I just want to pray a prayer over you this morning, in Jesus' name. Can we, wives, grandmas, daughters, kids, would you help me pray? In Jesus' name, right now, we just pray a special blessing over the fathers of this house. Over the fathers of this house, Lord, I pray that you would break the spiritual attack off their life. Father, divine wisdom right now in Jesus' name. Lord, give them a hunger for the Lord. Lord, any desire that they have that is not of you, I pray it would be quenched right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, every negative agreement that they have spoken about themselves or has spoken against them would be broken right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Come on. Amen. Hey, I love it. Yeah, come on. Give them a hand. It's so funny. Uh, it's, you know, this thing going on, on Facebook of like every Mother's Day. It's like, moms, we love you. You're doing such a good job. Like you need a little encouragement. And every Father's Day, it's like, man up, be a better person. And it's like, come on. Dads need a little encouragement too, right? Amen. Well, hey, um, so we've been in this series this entire summer called the Summer on the Mount. We've been grounding ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, if you know that it's, it's important, oftentimes we're in an environment like ours, when we are going after the more of the Lord, when we're going high, we're going for the things that are like for regional transformation, just things that churches don't typically go after. It's important, and the Lord showed me this this past week, that it's like we're climbing this ladder. 
And it's important as we climb the ladder, every once in a while we come down to look at the foundation of the ladder. And it's not that the foundation is less important, but actually the foundation sometimes is more important because it's the thing that holds you. And I've been a part of two men in ministries where people are going after the high, the lofty, the kind of those things, and they don't check the foundations. And what happens is as you go higher, the enemy can actually take you away. Think about it like an ocean. The deeper you go in God, the harder it is to find your footing. And if you don't have a life raft, a foundation, a life raft of the word, you will get pulled into different tidal streams that you were never meant to be in. I found people who have literally converted from Christianity to New Age, to, to Islam, to Hinduism, to whatever it is, to atheism, because they didn't stay grounded. And so I just feel like it's important this morning to ground ourselves and, and, and the Lord said this to me last night. He says, you, you, you stand on the thing that is firm so that you can leap out into the faith of what's unknown. And I just feel like it's important to stand on something firm this morning. Um, so we've been looking into the Sermon on the Mount. And this is actually a sermon that Jesus preached, probably one of the best sermons ever preached in the history of mankind. And Pastor Gio has been doing an amazing job going through some of the Beatitudes. And as I was just praying through the Sermon on the Mount, I was like, Lord, what do you want to say? He, he grounded me in, in Matthew 6. And I want to go there in a second. But, but he, he's, he's taking me into Matthew 6. And I'm just being honest. What I'm going to talk about today is kind of like a taboo message in the Christian church, especially the American church. This is one that most pastors, because I'm in pastor circles, they know they just can't preach. But I just feel like we're part of a body where nothing is off limits. Amen? Whether you knew it or not, you stepped into a church where nothing is off limits. And we're not going to have messages that the people threaten the pastor. Hey, don't talk about that. We're not going to go there. Everything is on the table. When Destiny was singing, Lord, you're a good shepherd, you can have everything, it means literally everything. When you translate everything from the Greek, it just means, every, I'm just playing, it just means everything, okay? So, so when we go to Matthew 6, you want to go to Matthew 6, don't put the, you don't have to put the scripture up yet, but in the beginning of Matthew 6, there's a theme that Jesus is driving home in this chapter. And this theme is very singular focus and it climaxes in one moment. We're gonna to get to it in a second, but I wanna kinda of start a little bit before to kinda of hear what he's tracking with. And it starts in, in the beginning of Matthew 6 in verse five. It's the model prayer, you've all heard it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, and then it, it, he's, he's talking about a singular track of mind. Let's read it real quick. Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is praying a prayer. The, the disciples were like, Jesus, if you had one prayer to pray, if you could just pray one more prayer for the rest of your life, what would it be? And Jesus said this without hesitation. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus has a singular track mind this day when he's talking about this. And his mind is tracking on one thing, and that is heaven to earth. And not just heaven to earth so we can have signs and wonders and miracles and evangelism, crusades and all that stuff, but it is heaven to earth in the sense that what is in heaven is more important, more valuable, more real than what is on earth. The eternal is more significant than temporal. 
This is, and you're going to see this as we journey through the rest of Matthew 6. Jesus is tracking on this, this, this thought process that eternal trumps the temporal. I, when I was a youth pastor, these are kids, you know, so I had to, I had to give them uh, analogies that fit them. And so I said, think about like Pinocchio and Geppetto, right? Praise God. Uh, maybe I was a kid's pastor. I don't know. Um, but, you know, this man makes this wooden doll, Pinocchio. And, and what is more real, Pinocchio or the man who made him, Geppetto? Geppetto is more real. It says God who is spirit birthed the physical. So what is more real, spirit or physical? The spirit actually has more substance to it than physical. And you actually know this because much of your life has been influenced either in the positive or the negative by the spiritual. Constantly the spiritual is manipulating the physical. And Jesus is tracking on this mind. He's trying to input in the people this thought process of like, hey, what is actually unseen is more important, more valuable, more, more powerful than what is seen. And so then he goes into this next part. He says, you need to put your attention, your treasure, he even calls it, in the eternal rather than the physical. He goes into talking about fasting, how the Pharisees will fast only to be seen. And he's like, hey, if you fast, if you give something and you, and you tell everybody, you immediately received your reward in the physical and you forfeited it in the supernatural. He's hammering this concept of what is there is way more important and powerful than what is here. And this is something that even, especially in the American church, where spirituality has all but died. In Africa and China and places like that, they get this because they have witch doctors in their town and they understand the power of the spirit. But in America, where our, where our base is atheism, it's hard for us to sometimes understand this. And I just feel the Lord pounding this in our heads this morning of like, the eternal is more significant than the temporal. What is up here is more powerful than what's down here. And he's talking about the Pharisees fasting because they just want to be seen by other people. And he's like, little do they know if they would actually fast in secret, they would receive downloads from heaven that would far trump the accolades of men. And we have people standing on pulpits today in America receiving accolades from men. And the Lord is saying, if they would just find me in their prayer closet, they would receive treasure from heaven and it would far be superior than the accolades of men. This is the reason why there's so many documentaries coming out about the church right now. It's because talent can fill a room. Talent can fill a room. Talent can even move people. But the anointing will keep you in ministry. The anointing will keep you under the fear of God. And we have churches, and I'm not, I don't want to bash the body of Christ. I love the body of Christ. But the Lord does say, judge them by their fruit. And so there's something about people just being focused on the accolades and the pride of life. I, I don't want to go there. It's not, it's not in my notes. Jesus, forgive me. All right. Sorry. Jesus is tracking on this, on this one-track mime. And, and he's talking about fasting, and then he goes up into laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thief cannot steal. He's trying to say, listen, you've been pursuing your entire life, your entire life after this one thing of, 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 of security, of wealth, of a house, of, of whatever. And he's like, listen, there is something that is more important than that. And any day now, because these are Romans occupied Jerusalem, any day now they could just take your stuff, but there is some place where you could store up treasure where thief cannot take it. 
where moth and rust cannot destroy your treasure and pursue that this morning and i just feel like in the american church this this message is not preached it's because it comes in direct conflict to something we call the american dream it comes in direct conflict with something we call the american dream where we're like i'm gonna get mine it's my right to be happy it's my right to be wealthy to be to be whatever you call it it's my right and the american dream oftentimes is never God's dream. Is never God's dream. You don't have rights as a Christian. Your only right is to die. I mean, you do have an inheritance. He said this, he says, they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. He said, they lied on me, they're gonna lie on you. They rejected me, they will reject you. This is our inheritance as believers. But you know what also comes with that? He says, for I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of peace, of love, and a sound mind. Your inheritance isn't millions of dollars in a fat bank account. Your inheritance is supernatural peace that comes from the throne room of God that says no matter what. Paul says, I have been rich and I have been poor, but in all things I've learned to be what? Content. And there needs to be a breaking of this American dream over the American church. I've never actually said this publicly, uh, but when I was 18, the Lord gave me a word and it was the mandate over my life. And he says, I'm calling you, Tyler, to awaken the sleeping giant that is the American church. And I'm not saying I'm going to be the one to do it, but I'm just going to help. And what he began to show me were churches and people sitting like at the end of a conveyor belt and just being fed and they're just, they're overweight and they're just, they're, 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 gro- and they're, 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 they're apathetic. They're not moving and they're just still. And he's like, part of that is the American dream that they have just fed themselves. They're pursuing something that I'd never desired for them. And then we have preachers coming along preaching prosperity gospels that says, if you'll send $10 over the television program, you'll be rich. And it's like Jesus is disgusted because it literally neuters the American church to say, well, it's about something else. And when we get our eyes off of his vision, his plan, his dream, we'll go after things that we were never meant. Spiritual warfare is oftentimes not about the devil showing up in your living room with a flaming sword trying to kill you. It's about him just trying to distract you just a little bit. If he can get you going after the wrong things. There's something so much more significant than the spirit, than the the physical. It's the stuff up in heaven. Eternal riches, glory, his presence, his power, his love, his mind. And it culminates, it kind of climaxes in Matthew 6, 24. You can put it up. And this is where I want to root us this morning. Jesus says this, he says, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other. I know I have a different translation, but I like this one better. (laughs) Hate the one, love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. This is not a, this is not an uncommon theme in scripture from the very, literally from the garden. There's a common theme of like, who are you going to serve? 
Who are you going to partner with? There is, because this is not, there's levels to our spiritual life. At first, God, Jesus is Savior. He saves me from my sin. Next, he is, he's my friend. He, he heals my wounds. Next, he's king. I need to submit to his lordship. I need to actually come under his guidance. Finally, he's my bridegroom. And it culminates, in the faster we understand that all of this really has to do with a wedding at the end of time where the bride has made herself ready and her, she has white garments and the white garments are the righteous acts of the saints. The faster we can understand this, it's going to be easier on our life. And Jesus is saying, who are you going to serve? There's this constant thing, whether it's, whether it's in the garden, in Adam and Eve with the trees, whether it's Israel going after other gods, whatever. Jesus is like, you can only serve one person. Why? Because he's jealous after you. He is jealous after you. Some of you even hear the word jealousy and it gives a negative connotation because maybe for the women in here, you, or even men too, you've been in relationships with jealous people. And you're like, I don't want him to be jealous. I'm sorry that you experienced unholy jealousy. Where your significant other or whoever that, that person was in the relationship, their jealousy came from insecurities. His comes from love. His jealousy is rooted in love. Why? It's because we like to think that, you know, we say God knows the beginning from the end and all this sort of stuff. And that's cute. That's a good way to put it. But me and Covington love talking about this stuff. It's not that just God is like, like some sort of cosmological time traveler. He can go anywhere he wants and he kind of knows how it's going to end, so he's okay. No, it's like God creates one day this phone and this phone represents the entire universe from the beginning to the end. And he is not in the phone. He actually looks outside and sees the beginning of time and the end of time as a whole and he is sitting outside of it and he could pick it up if he wanted to. He could wave it around. God is so much bigger than we understand. He literally holds time in his hand. He is outside of time. We can't, our mental brains, are just they break down when we think about this because it's too big. He's too vast and praise God for that. Because any God that I can understand and comprehend is not a God worth following. And he sits outside of time and he sees your life. And he sees your life in every nook and cranny, every different possible way it could go. And he says, I have concluded, Jesus sits to himself, he says, I have concluded the best thing for Marcus's life is for him to be holy and, and fully surrendered in love with me. And because I, my heart burns for Marcus, I am jealous for him not because i'm insecure that he's going to go follow dagon or buddha or whoever one day it's because my heart burns for love for marcus god's jealousy is actually rooted in love not his insecurities and so he's desiring a people who would be solely and wholly devoted unto him he says you cannot serve two gods you either love one and hate the other or despise one and, 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 and follow the other. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is a common theme. Mammon is a weird word. <laughs> um, it actually, you know, when we think about mammon, 
it means riches. When you translate it from the Latin Vulgate, it literally just means riches. Um, but the connotation here is, is not just wealth. It's not, God's not just saying you cannot serve God and, and money. It's something a little different. Mammon has deeper connotations than just people who are money hungry. People who just want stuff. It has to do with something a little deeper in, in, in what we're pursuing. And there's a reason why people pursue God in mammon. And this is, this is what the Lord is really just showing me, that the biggest hindrance to the American churches is because the American church is pursuing mammon rather than the Lord. Much of us are, are under the spirit, this blindness of mammon rather than the spirit of God. And we're pursuing something that he never designed us to pursue. Woo, praise God. As I was meditating on this verse this past week and just asking the Lord, like, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? What do you, what does this mean? Why are you having me talk about this? Because this is uncomfortable. And like I said, many people in the American church, many churches are like, don't you dare talk about my money. That's off limits. And I just feel like I'm in a church this morning where nothing is off limits. And the Lord said, it's not so much that people are sitting back like, you remember the, the Christmas Carol movie with Mr. Scrooge? This guy who's counting his coins and he's just like, he's lustful for money. It's not so much like that. People, now, whoever you, you, you think of, whether it's a, a, a Mr. Scrooge or whatever billionaire you don't really agree with, you hate, it's not that. It's something different than that. The love of money has nothing really to do. It can manifest like that with people just being power hungry and whatever, but it has a little more something to do with trust. It has to do with trust. The love of money has to do with trust. And God began to speak to me. He says, my people have abandoned me because they feel like I cannot take care of them. And they have searched for things that they feel they can hide in and, 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 and close themselves in. And they have sought money, mammon. This is what Jesus is talking about in the story. He's talking about who can you trust. And when you start thinking about it like that, it makes a lot more sense. Because money is not bad. Money is not bad. Money is not evil. And you've probably heard preachers preach this either prosperity gospel where money is equivalent to spirituality and versus the other one, a poverty gospel, where if you're rich, you're unspiritual. And the, none of them are true. Money is just a tool. If money is evil, then Solomon, Abraham, and, and Job at the end of his life were all evil, but they were evil on behalf of the Lord for blessing them. Please don't hear what I'm not saying this morning. Money is not evil. It's where your heart is tied to. What is your heart linked to this morning? Is your pursuit for the things of this earth, the temporal things, is that what causes you to be whole, secure, happy? Or is it just like, hey, if he blesses me or if he doesn't. I'm ready for a people who have like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spirit where it says like, even if he doesn't bless me, I will still serve him. Like, I'm going after his plan, and if his plan is to prosper me and give me finances so that I can bless others and not make a kingdom unto myself, bless God. But if his plan is to have me move to China in a one-bedroom apartment and pour out my life upon the people there, then so be it. Bless God. Money is just money. Money's a tool. Money to God is like sand on the shore. It's just, it's nothing. It's what is your heart tied to this morning? 
Is your heart finding home in the things of this world? Is it finding, is it finding satisfaction? And this is not just like for the greed of money, but also satisfaction. The Lord began to speak to this to me. He says, my people are not just finding like comfort, security, they're finding satisfaction in, in, in their jobs, in their money, and like there's nothing wrong. We have people in this room who are amazing businessmen and women. Shanna Acosta, sitting on the front row, is an gifted, anointed businesswoman. That's the Lord's gift to her. But if our satisfaction, if her satisfaction becomes her job instead of the presence of God, there's a problem. There's a problem. And we can have accolades, but the, and we can go after the accolades of man, but they will always leave us dry and thirsty and, and, and barren. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but at the end it leads to destruction. All right. I want to leave time for some ministry time, so I'm going to, I'm going to keep going here. Um, it's about the trust of money. It's about, the, it's about trust. Where is your trust putting in? And, and I want to just address something really quick, and please just hear me right now. Um, there's, there's also this kind of like movement going through our nation, which is actually really good, but it can have a negative side too, where, because you can have all the faith in the world, and you can be like, money's nothing to me, I'm just going to give it all away. And, but if, when you're giving money, and you just, you say that, but then you go spend all your money on like lotto tickets and like cigarettes or whatever, like, just, that's not, that's, just because you throw away money doesn't mean you don't have the spirit of mammon. Also, the spirit of mammon is not just tied to rich people. The spirit of mammon is not just tied to people who are wealthy. It's not just those, those, those Mr. Scrooge or Scrooge McDuck, if you watch, nobody got it, okay. Thank you, praise God, my Disney fans. Uh, it's not just tied to those people. Oftentimes, people who are a low income, not saying every person, every case, but hear me now. When I've walked with people, sometimes it's because there is an unhealthy expectation, there's an unhealthy expectation of money. And if you lie in your bed dream about, dreaming about when you're going to be rich, dreaming about when you're going to get that house, instead of dreaming about his glory, there's a problem. Mammon is not just reserved for wealthy people. Mammon is, mammon is whenever we put our hope and our trust in finances, whether we have them or we don't. And you can be broke as a joke and you can still be giving your heart to mammon. It's about where, where is your heart tied to. And oftentimes, I, for me, for me, I've seen people refuse, God refuse to bless people because they are unhealthy with stewarding the things he's already given them. The Lord is a faithful father. He doesn't want to crush you with his blessings. I did a study one time. It's really interesting on people who won the lottery. <laughs> it's crazy. Of course, people who play the lottery are generally lower income. Not all the time, but that's generally what it is. And the, the statistic was something insane. Literally like 98% of people of the all years of the lottery who have won the lottery, 98% of them were bankrupt within a year. It's because the issue never was how much they had. The issue was where their heart was placed. The issue was they thought this would ground them. And if I could just dream about when I'm going to get paid more, when I'm going to get more money, and then the money comes, and then their heart squanders it because they're, they're not rooted in the Lord and trusting Him. It's in something else. It's about trust. And I was saying there's, there's a thing going through America right now about 
actually stewarding your money, and it's actually really good. Me and my wife love Dave Ramsey. Amen. Anybody Dave Ramsey? People out here, praise God. You need to get him if you don't. And we use his every dollar app, and we budget every, every single dollar has, has a name. Like nothing goes unplaced in our budget. It's amazing. It's really helped us. The first year of our marriage was rough. And uh, then we got Dave Ramsey. All of a sudden, we had more money than we thought we did. It's crazy. Um, however, there is oftentimes a super fine line between wisdom and fear. There is a fine line between wisdom and fear. And oftentimes to the person in it and even outside of it, looking at it, we can't tell the difference. We can't tell the difference. Because there's a lot of things that just make a lot of sense. Like you need to save your money. You need to, 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 to have a retirement. And I love it. I'm trying to get a retirement. Praise God. I want one. I want to travel with my wife and not my kids. Amen. Send them off somewhere else. I want to retire. It's not bad. But if my retirement plan comes in conflict with God's plan, and I choose my retirement or my bank or whatever you want to call it, I, I don't tell the story to boast, but I just want to, I want to give examples. My wife and I, first year of marriage, we, we were bad financially. We started doing Dave Ramsey. It really helped us. It improved a lot of things. We started saving. We got our savings account. We got our, 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 um, our emergency fund, all this sort of stuff set. And then one day this, a mutual friend we knew was like, I'm going to Africa and I'm, I don't have all my money yet. And I'm, and I'm trying to get to Africa and raise money. And I looked at my wife and we both had the same thought and we were both angry that we had the thought of like, we need to give our entire savings account to this person to go to Africa. And if in that moment, if I would have chosen to say, well, actually, if it, it's wisdom to not do that, because God would say that I need to protect my family before, it has to be an over, just not scriptural. If I would have done that, I would have been disobedience. And so we gave, and, and, and the God was blessed, and, the, and I have never I can literally sit and stand before you today and say this scripture with a whole heart that I'm young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed beggar for bread. He has always been there. And sometimes in those moments, wisdom, it feels like wisdom, but it's actually fear. Because what am I saying when I say that? Like, Lord, if I give this gift to this person, you're not going to protect me. And he's going to say, well, you did that, now you gotta start from, ground, from, from, from zero. And I'm not gonna feed your kids. They're your kids. It's an orphan mentality. Yeah. To think that he won't protect my kids. He, he loves my children more than I ever would. Yeah. More than I ever could. And so when I withhold, because out of fear that I have to do the right thing, it's assuming that he won't do the right thing. Listen, I know this is awkward and a hard message. I, try being the guy up here talking about it. But I just feel like what would it be like for a church to say, you know what? This world is not my home. And I'm going to fully step in with my heart, my soul, my family, and my finances. And nothing will hold my heart. It says the enemy searched Jesus and could find no foothold. What if he could find no foothold in this church? What if you could find nothing to hold on to, no fear to keep you captured by? 
Wisdom sometimes seems like wisdom, but oftentimes it's fear. I love this analogy. I'm very excited to share it. <laughs> I was talking to my wife. She's like, you should not say that. I said, I'm going to say it. Um, <laughs> during COVID, anybody remember COVID? Crazy. Steve and Jackie from South Africa was like, it's like COVID just doesn't exist here anymore. I was like, welcome to America, baby. <laughs> welcome to Florida. Praise God. No, I'm just, I'm teasing. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> In COVID, I, I, no matter where you kind of sit on the aisle, I think we can all agree on some level masks were helpful. And if that makes you angry, then just, you know, kind of grow up. Um, masks were helpful at least a little bit. Okay. We can agree with that. I remember seeing this picture though. And if you did this shame off you, you know, please, it was, it was a wild and crazy time. People were doing crazy stuff. Okay. Uh, is the beginning of COVID. I remember seeing this picture. I was going to put it on the screen, but I knew if I did that, the guy would actually be here and the Lord would rebuke me. Um, is this picture of a guy in Walmart pushing a cart and he had a welder's mask on. But not just a welder's mask. He had a pool noodle taped around his head like a crown. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. And it was taped like a, like a headband. Coming off the pool noodle were other pool noodles going out like five or six feet, like a sunflower. Like, and it was like this, this like, don't get me barrier. And, and I understand there's, there's fear. I'm not making fun of it or whatever, maybe a little bit. Um, what I'm trying to say is sometimes wisdom feels like wisdom, but you're actually getting into a spirit of fear. You're actually getting into a spirit of fear. And it takes sometimes seeing an, a, a picture like that to kind of shake us out of like, listen, there is a way that seems wise to a man, but in the end, and I think COVID actually revealed that in a lot of us. So many people, friends of mine even, started businesses and they had plans and there was security in the things of this world. And COVID showed us that at any moment, all that stuff could be shaken up. And we need to have our hope, our faith, our grounding into something a little bit more stable than stuff in a bank. 2008 showed a lot of you that too. Those of you who, had, who, were, who were around during that time, it showed you that like nothing is certain. Nothing is certain. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Praise God. Fear can sometimes, or wisdom can look, can oftentimes masquerade itself as fear or vice versa. Praise God. All right. So it's about trust. And this is what the Lord is hammering to me. And I want to just, I want to walk through a story real quick. Then we're going to end and we're just going to pray for some people. It's really about trust. It's where is your trust? Where is your hope? Where, where do you, where do you find security? And I begin to ask the Lord, I'm like, what's, what's going on here? What has happened to people that they would put their money, or sorry, put their trust in money and things and accolades in their job, whatever. Why is that happening and not you? And he brought me to the story of Abraham. And it's really interesting. Abraham is called the father of faith. And yet he did one of the things because he had a lack of faith that had, we're still experiencing the, 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 um, repercussions of his actions thousands and thousands of years later hundreds of thousands of people have died because of the repercussions of his actions because he didn't have faith Abraham is this old man and, and he's in his older years and his wife Sarah can't have children and they want kids they really want kids and yet they just can't have them and so the Lord actually meets Abraham one day come on and he's like his actual name was Abram he says Abram and he said, he gives him this promise. 
Like, I'm going to multiply your offspring. Not only am I going to give you a son, but you're going to have an offspring. They're going to be more than the stars in the sky, sand on the sea, shore. Like, every, I'm going to prosper you, Abraham. Woo! He's, like, super excited. Number one, he just had an encounter with the God of the universe in the physical, which is crazy. And so he goes to Sarah, and he's, like, telling Sarah, and Sarah's, like, joyful. Here's the word, yes. And so they start to co-labor with the Lord, amen? And <laughs> praise God. And... Um, and they're joyous. That's a good promise for all you dads out there. Like, amen. So um, he's like, I'm going to give you a child. And they start pursuing this promise. And I can just see it. That days turn into weeks and weeks and months, months, years. And then they reach this place where the promise just hasn't happened yet. And this thing called disappointment starts to set in and take root in Abraham and Sarah's heart. And I've been in that place. I've been in that place where I've pursued, the Lord's given me this promise, he's given me this faith, and I'm gonna pursue it. But as I'm pursuing it, the Lord is just, just it feels like he's just absent. Just me, anybody else? It just feels like he's not there. And I'm pursuing and I'm pushing and I'm pushing and I'm pushing, and I just feel alone. I feel like he's not there, he's not guarding me, he's not covering me. And all of a sudden, this thing called disappointment starts to take root in my heart, and it did for Abraham and Sarah. And they're standing there one day having a conversation. And don't you know that when you are disappointed, you will do things, say things, go places, take part in things that you never would have before the promise came. When you receive the promise, there were just things you wouldn't do. But over time, when disappointment sets in, it's like your, your bar for what you're willing to do, where you're willing to go, what you're willing to say, what you're willing to partner with, drops. Why? Because you're like, he's not going to cover me. And I have this hole in my heart. And it has to be filled by something. I'm going to fill it with something. And Abraham and Sarah have this conversation that literally makes no sense. I've, I went back and read this, and it's, it's just baffling to me. And oftentimes disappointment causes us to say things that just have, they make no sense. And, and, they, and Sarah comes to him and she says, Abraham, I want this child. I, and God just is, he's on vacation or something. I don't know what he's doing. Take my servant, Hagar. Go be with her and we can have the child of promise. Through the, it doesn't even make sense. He said to you and Sarah, not to you and Hagar. But when you're disappointed, you will begin to tie yourself to things, false promises, these things that are like, they have the appearance of the promise fulfilled, but the sustenance isn't there. The satisfaction isn't there. There was a son born. His name was Ishmael. Ishmael comes on the scene and it's a, he, he had two feet, he had two hands, he had two eyes, he had hair, he's a boy, but he was not the promise. And there are people in this room this morning where you have pursued the Lord. You have gone after him and you have tied your, you, you, you've had faith, but for just, for whatever reason, God hasn't done it yet. And let me just say this. If he is the one who gives the promise, he is the one who dictates the timeline. The prom, you can never earn the promise. It was a gift by him. If it's a gift by him, he decides when it comes to fruition. The problem is, within the waiting, within the promise, there is peace, there is hope, but when we detie, our, when we untie ourselves from the Lord, we stop finding ourselves in intimacy with Him, we can be swayed every which way. 
See, we think spiritual warfare is, like I said, like a demon showing up and like trying to fight you. But untying ourselves from the Lord happens, in my experience, in a lot more subtle ways. I shared this with a staff not too long ago, and I, I just want to share it here briefly before we close. Um, about spiritual warfare. It, it, who's ever been on a Wednesday night? Like, we go after it sometimes. And there's been times where me and Marcus are up there, or whoever, me and Amy Miller, and we're casting down spirits, and we're fighting the devil, and all this sort of stuff. And it's amazing. And I'm telling you, there has been nights where I literally, there is demonic stuff happening, and it feels like we're in a fist fight with the devil. And it's incredible because Jesus always wins. And the Lord spoke this to me like a month ago. And he said, he said, Tyler, you think spiritual warfare is that. And when you leave, it, you know, prayer room ends at 8 o'clock. You high five Marcus and you're like, I'll see you here next Wednesday. You think the devil's like, oh, rats. They got me again. I'll be here next Wednesday, 6 o'clock sharp. You think that's what the enemy does. You think that's what spiritual warfare is. And you think that the enemy is like, well, I'm not going to follow him home. That's weird. And the Lord said, he said, Tyler, that joker follows you home. He says, you think spiritual warfare is resigned to the church service? He said, that joker's in your living room. He's in your bedroom. He's speaking things to you constantly. He's trying to get you to accuse other people, to accuse yourself. He is literally the accuser of the brethren. And he's like, spiritual warfare is not resigned to a church service or a prayer room. Spiritual warfare is 24-7 is every day of the week. And oftentimes, we, my wife and I have had, you know, in years of ministry, we've been a part of plenty of deliverances and casting out demons and all that fun stuff. And I love to see God move that way. But if I'm being honest, that's like 2% of the spiritual warfare that I've experienced in my life. Bill Johnson said this, he says, the last battlefield for the Christian is between their ears. And most of the spiritual warfare that you're ever going to experience happens by little subtle lies being crept into your ears and you partnering with them. It's called a stronghold. Destiny was talking about it this morning. Spiritual warfare looks less like a demon shaking on the ground. It looks more like this thought of like, why didn't they invite me? Why are they not, why are they not doing why do I feel he didn't shake my hand at church my boss just hates me he doesn't look like why is my sister so what and we hear that and instead of taking every thought captive and resisting the devil and causing him to flee we say yes and amen we come into agreement and all of a sudden the enemy's like ah an open door and he feeds that line. Some of your, your eyes are being opened for the first time because you're like, oh my gosh, that's my life. It started with one little thought that you came into agreement with in a place of, of aloneness. And when you're detached from the body, you're in a rough place. You haven't been spending time with the Lord, whatever. You come into agreement and he keeps pummeling that thing. And every single agreement, every lie you build becomes a brick that makes a castle that is not a stronghold. That's what Paul's saying when he says our weapons of our warfare are not carnal but are mighty for the tearing down of strongholds. It's thought processes in your mind that the enemy is able to do work from. In my life, I've had thought processes, strongholds, massive castles, if you can think about it like that, in my mind 
that the enemy occupied. And every time my wife would push that button, I would literally manifest. And I would come out and I would get angry for no reason. Anybody ever got angry for like literally no reason? It's because there's a stronghold there. And the enemy is using you to... This is what spiritual... That's really what spiritual warfare looks like 90% of the time. And what happens is you are pursuing the Lord. And for whatever reason, he hadn't come through yet. And a little lie comes in your mind like, he ain't gonna do it. You can't trust him. This is what all this is about, is trust. It's just trust. You can't trust him. You need to take matters into your own hands. And this is what the Lord showed me, that for the vast amount of the American church, it's not like Scrooge or some money-hungry person that's lusting over dollar bills. It's weak, orphaned sons and daughters who are just afraid. They're afraid that they're not covered by their heavenly father. And so they're like, I have to find covering in something and I'm gonna find it in my bank account. I'm gonna find it in my job security. I'm gonna find it in whatever. And listen, I am not telling you when you leave this service today that you need to quit your job and join the ministry. It's not what I'm saying. I was praying with the Lord and I'm like, I don't want it to be come across the wrong way. And he said for 95% of the people in the room today, most of you, it's just about a heart switch. It's about a mental shift in, your, in how you think and that you, your security does not come from your bank account or for your job or whatever. It comes from him. And whether that stuff gets taken away or not, your security and your satisfaction is found in a man with eyes of fire who like is going to be here from the beginning of time to the end of time and you will reign with him in New Jerusalem. It's about that. It's not about you selling everything and going to the ministry. Although that's what you feel. I want you to know you are covered. Your father covers you. It's about trust. I want to share just one story to build your faith. And then I want to just pray for some people. Cove, would you, would you come on the piano, bro? Appreciate you, homie. My wife and I have been walking this journey out. And I just feel like the Lord is, one of the things the Lord told us early on in our life was that he's going to put us constantly in situations where our faith is going to be stretched. But it's going to be a testimony to the people around us of the goodness of God. Because in America, let's just be honest, we don't have to trust him for money a lot of times. We're so well off, even some of the most uh, financially dependent people in this room are probably more well off than the people in Africa or China or whatever. Like we are so blessed. And so my wife and I have been walking this journey out and, and many don't even know this, but when we moved over here, we, we had a great job. We, we loved our church, we were on staff before. We were comfortable. We, had, we owned a house, all this sort of stuff. And the Lord told us to move and we had no plans. And when we moved over here, we, we really did it in faith because like just, you know, they, would, they were gonna be able to pay us, but it wasn't that, that much. But we decided a long time ago that we would never let fear decide what we would do in the kingdom of God. That faith would always triumph over fear. And I would be sure that he cares about me and my children more than I do. And at the end of the day, if I step out in faith, I told somebody this one time when they were questioning me, I said, even if I'm wrong, even if I'm missing it, missing it, I don't believe God looks down from heaven and is like, you missed it, you stepped out in faith, you sold everything to go in the ministry, I didn't tell you to do that, now I'm going to punish you. <laughs> I feel like he's going to look down and say, hey, you missed it, 
but that's an boy. Good try. I'll make up the rest. Like, he's just looking for faith. He says he goes to and fro looking for faith. And so we stepped out, and all we had to live in was a 1975 camper trailer that did not have running water or electricity. And I, I had extension cords running into the camper with a, with a window unit slapped in the side. It was the most redneck thing you have ever seen. Like we literally, out of like the Beverly Hills hillbillies, it was amazing. I am from Bushnell, so it just, it, it fits. Eventually our house sells, but hey, it's expensive to live over here, amen? And, like, and we just couldn't afford it, so we used the money. We bought a bigger camper, a fifth wheel. We're like, we're only going to be here for six months. The Lord's going to do something. We'll be able to get an apartment. Well, two years later, we're still living in a camper. <laughs> Me and my wife, two kids and two golden retrievers living in a fifth wheel for two years. Eric knows. He, he, <laughs> he says, thank you, buddy. And I was just really honest with the Lord one day. I was getting down. I was like kind of getting frustrated because my wife wants a house. She wants out of the camper. Like, because it just seemed like it wasn't going to change. There was no end in sight. And I just got really honest, like, Lord, you, you got to do something, please. And I remember I was journaling. This is the beginning of last year. I was journaling and talking to him one day, and he said, Tyler, prepare. He said, by the end of the year, I'm going to be moving you and your family into a house. And I'm like, that's amazing, Lord. Like, and to be honest, I did not have a lot of faith for it in that moment. But I wrote it down in my journal. I could show, it where you, show you where it's at. I wrote it down, and I went about my business. And that entire year, my wife and I held on to that word with death grip, and we planned. We saved. We, we, we started businesses that was only by the Lord. We have fallen backward into lucrative businesses that I can't even explain. It's just Him. I am not that smart, okay, to be doing, coming up with some of the ideas we did. And we started to save, and, and we kept trying to make it happen. We would try to buy a used mobile home and move it out to the property where we were at. We would try to do this, and every single time, like, roadblocks would hit. And I begin to get really discouraged because the months are ticking by. I'm like, Lord, you said a year. Meanwhile, the people of Grounded, the, the, the church that was here before, they had a house on the property. The house you see over there is me and my wife are blessed to stay at the Lord blessed us and I was talking to Sherry one day and I was sharing the story and she starts to cry she says you don't know Tyler she says we tried to get rid of that house for so many years it was just kind of falling apart we tried to get the city to take it away they wouldn't do it we tried to give it they were trying to give the house away and nobody would take it she's like it just felt like we just kept hitting roadblock after roadblock after like the Lord just like did not want the house to go away and then by the end of that year November our churches merge. And I never forget in the beginning of December, Gia walks up to me and says, hey, and I hadn't really told him this yet. He knew we were looking for something, but I hadn't told him about the word. He said, there's a house on the property. And if you guys want it, you can take it. And I had money saved up and like we were, we were ready. And I just saw that day that the Lord cares more about me and my family and can do more for me and my family than I ever could in my own strength. Because my plan was to, if I'm just being completely honest, was to go part-time at the church and go get a teaching job so that I could provide for myself and my family. But he's faithful. And I just want to tell you this morning, he is faithful. And wherever you find yourself, I get it. It's hard. 
and it's easier to put things, our faith in things that we can see and hold rather than the spirit. But I'm just, I am a living, walking testimony that he will provide for you. Would you stand? I just feel like the Lord wants to do two things this morning. Number one, I feel like he wants to recommission faith in the room. I see, I just see dead faith. The faith that has become dead from disappointment all around the room. And I just see him breathing life into that, like, trust me again. Trust me again. Like when you first got saved and everything was possible. The first time you saw your first miracle and you just thought he could do anything. And you find yourself standing here today so jaded and tired and cold. You're like, I don't even know if he hears me when I pray. I hear the Lord saying, I want to speak life into that. I want to reawaken faith. Let me just pray. Jesus. Lord, we just give you our disappointment this morning. Lord, every area of our heart where we have grown cold, we've grown jaded, we've grown tired. Lord, we just give you our disappointment this morning. And we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, to speak faith into hearts this morning. To speak life into hearts. Resurrect those dead things right now in Jesus' name. Resurrect dead faith right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to call you forward in a moment. The next thing I saw was this. As I feel like specifically there's people in the room. You feel like you've been looked over by the Lord. You feel like you've been passed by. You feel like he has looked at other people and not you. You feel like you just are alone out there and he doesn't even see you. And I feel the Father on Father's Day taking his arm around you and saying, Son, daughter, I never stopped looking at you. I still see you. I still hear you. I am here to take care of you if you will let me. If that's you and you want to you have faith restored this morning, I just believe that it's possible. I want to invite you to come and just kneel before the Lord and ask him to renew faith this morning to restore that tool was that which was broken if that's you go ahead and come and if you feel like you've been passed by by the lord if you feel like the lord has just not seen you in a season i believe he's going to encounter you this morning and you're going to have faith that he's going to see you he's going to hear you and you're on no i see him breaking off the orphan spirit this morning no longer the orphan spirit yet yeah, jesus in jesus name we break the agreement of the orphan spirit this morning you have no more hold we cry the spirit of adoption Abba Father in Jesus name can I, if I can just have my prayer team to go and minister yeah and Cub you can you can minister whenever you're ready bro Jesus name Jesus name in Jesus name we just pray for fresh faith this morning fresh faith lord awaken those things that are dead right now in jesus name in jesus name in jesus name in jesus name 
awaken that which was dead right now. Lord, those feelings of being passed by, we, co we come out of agreement right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. A son and a daughter. A son and a daughter. And we say you protect us and you provide for us. You protect us and you provide for us. In Jesus' name. You're not looked over. You're not looked past. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. renewing and restoring dreams tonight uh, this morning dreams whether you wanted to be in ministry or the Lord just or whatever it looks like I just feel dreams maybe you wanted to start a business and it didn't work out and you've grown weary you've grown bitter I just feel like the Lord is restoring dreams this morning if you would just surrender and become open and say Lord you can speak to that place that's been hurt I'm willing to, to have faith again. He's going to speak and author faith this morning. In Jesus' name. Lord, we restore dreams. Restore dreams, God. Author faith this morning in the room.
Yeah, I just want to take a moment to pray over those those footholds and those open doors. I feel like the Lord is saying that there needs to be an active closing of the doors of unbelief and doubt. Something the Lord spoke to me sometime last year. Just kind of talking about the spiritual warfare thing. The Lord was revealing to me a lot of times we don't get stuck in these quote-unquote spiritual ruts because we've come in agreement with what the enemy is saying about us. A lot of the times it's because the enemy has come into agreement with what we've already said about us. So a lot of times maybe it's not the enemy saying, see, they don't want to hang out with you. It's you saying they don't want to hang out with me and then the enemy coming and agreeing with you. And I remember last year there were, I was dealing with something and I was saying something over my life. I was just speaking death over myself and I literally, it was, a, it was the first time I ever heard it. I literally heard the enemy whisper yeah that's right I heard it and I was like I, I've got to stop it so if you're in this room whether you're in the altars or if you're in the in the season you feel like you need to just break some agreement with what you said over yourself just lift up your hands for a second as we just we just pray over you father in Jesus name we just bring every word we've spoken over ourselves whether we remember them or not every word of death we've spoken over ourselves whether we I'm just I'm never going to be made well I'm always going to be sick I'm always going to be poor. I'm always going to be alone. I'm always going to deal with this anxiety. Whatever we've spoken outside of our mouths, Lord, we repent right now. We repent right now. We come into agreement with your word that your promises are yes, yes and amen, that we have life and life abundant in you. And Father, we sever and we cancel every lie that we've spoken over ourselves. Lord, we ask that you forgive us for emotional responses. For every time we've emotionally responded with our words to our situations and our circumstances, we ask, Lord, that you will that you will forgive us and we just break it. We come into agreement now that who the sun sets free is free indeed. Your promises are yes and amen, and we suffer them right now. We close every door of doubt right now in Jesus' name. Come on, if you're if you have that doubt, we just we close the door. I trust the Lord. Say, I trust him. I trust the Lord, whether I understand it or not. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why is it a lamp and a light? Because it's enough for you to take the next step and the next step only. So, Lord, we come into agreement with your word. We say we trust you. We close the door of fear right now in Jesus' name. We close the door of fear of the unknown, fear that you'll let us down. John 10, you are a good shepherd. You've laid your life down for the sheep. We trust your leadership. We trust your leadership. We just close the door of fear right now. We open our hearts to faith, Lord. We say, faith arise. Faith arise. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, you're in the midst. You're working it out for good. All things work out to the good of them that are loved by him or called according to his purposes. We just speak that all things will work out for your good as you love him. As you love him, all things will work out for your good. So, Lord, we just sever, sever those binds. We cancel those agreements. We're coming into alignment with what you've spoken over us. Fresh dreams and visions. Just revisit, revisit that place and dream again. And dream again. Revisit that place and believe again. Revisit that place and say, Lord, I'm going back there with you. There's grace to not lose your footing, but for the Lord to redeem the times. I feel that strong. Holy Spirit, would you redeem the times as we submit ourselves to you again? We, we, we submit ourselves to you, Lord. We place ourselves in your divine timeline. A day is like a thousand to them and a thousand like a day. You can do it in a day what we couldn't do in a million days, Lord. So we come into 
agreement with your divine timeline, your word and your promises over us. In Jesus' name. Father's Day that we're going to fully step into being priests of our homes. So Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you, Father, for a supernatural grace to be the man of the home, to serve and to love, to come under, to cover, Father. And we speak over every man in this house, a man of purity, a man of righteousness, a man of integrity, a man of peace, a man of covering. And God, we want to fully step into all that you have for us, God. We bless them. We cover them, God. Father, we speak that you would touch any areas of hurt that would stop them from stepping in fully, God. And we ask by the Holy Spirit that you would uproot every spirit of orphanhood, everything that would stop us from fully standing as priests of our home, not to Lord, but to serve. To love, to hold, to cherish, to see, to speak life. So Holy Spirit, we ask you for grace for this. For those that have been coasting in life and letting things happen, we say no more. That they would have grace to shut open doors, to speak life, and to speak against those things which the enemy would try to come in and to steal and to rob and to destroy. We ask you for grace for this, Lord. That you would help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. of orphanhood God help them to fully step in we love you Lord we love you Lord 
No more pity parties, feeling bad for ourselves or loathing. May you stand in all that God has for you. We release faith into the room. You're worthy, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, on this Father's Day for being a good father, for releasing every good gift to your children. Yeah, I just felt this. I wanted to end the service this way this morning, that we would commit as a body. And as Tiffany and I, as the, as the shepherds over this body, that we would just steward a house that would say nothing is off the table. I am tired of church saying you can talk about this, but you can't talk about that. We are going to be a people that nothing is off the table. That Jesus, you can have every room, every aspect of my heart. You can touch whatever you want to this morning, Jesus. You can touch my failures. You can touch my shortcomings. You can touch the areas where I feel like you've shortcome, Jesus. Nothing is off the table. Would you just raise your hand if you feel that this morning? We're going to come into agreement as a church, as a local body of believers to say we are going to be a like representation to say nothing is off the table. In Jesus' name, you can have every aspect of my heart. Nothing is off the table. You can touch anything you want to. You own me completely, God. I am a slave to your righteousness. You own me, Jesus. You own me, God. Nothing is off the table. And we will be a people wholly, solely, fully given to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you're getting ministered to, there's no rush. We love you here at Abide. We're just so happy and excited for what God is doing today and in your life. We're just happy to be part of it. Amen. Have a great one. Happy Father's Day.